Hello everyone, this is Jacob Hopio, the producer of The Apex. In this episode, Jan takes the mobile podcast studio onto the road to Knoxville, Tennessee. There, he interviews the president of Graphic Creations, Mr. Jim Cawhorn. They talk about Jim's journey from corporate America to taking over the family business and learning how to maximize a company's branding by protecting their story from every angle. From logo creation to almost any physical product that you can imagine, Graphic Creations can help you protect your brand. To contact them and find out more, visit their website and social media pages that we have posted in the show notes. If you want to support us, there are three ways to do so. One is to donate to our cause at www.patreon.com backslash the Apex Podcast. Second, visit our merch line that is proudly partnered with Envision Clothing Company at envisionclothingcompany.com. The other is completely free. All we ask is if you learn something from this episode or know someone that needs to hear our message, share it with them. Please subscribe and hope this pushes you toward your apex. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Apex Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jan Almasi, and today I actually don't have my co-host and partner in crime with me because I am in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, for those of you that are from Ohio, it's not Knoxville, Knoxville. You'll learn that the more you come down here. Uh, so today, I have the privilege of seating across the table from Mr. Jim Cawhorn, who is the owner of Graphic Creations down here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, for those of you that have been listening, you know that uh, my friend Michael Pettit lives down here, and Michael actually works for Jim, how we ended up making the connection. But I was super intrigued about how his company works and how he got to where he is, specifically because I work in the social media realm. Um, we do a lot of the consulting work and, you know, help people optimize some of their flows. Um, and a big piece of that is graphics and moving into the graphics world and stuff like that. I thought that it would be phenomenal to be able to sit across the table from somebody that has been a part of it from being at an entry level position to now owning the company, um, all shares included. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. So um, why don't we just start, we'll just start off with um, what is Graphic Creations? What do you all do here? We are at heart a printing company that can design, print, protect, and promote your brand. Hmm. I like that. What are, so when you say protect your brand, through a graphics perspective, what does that mean for somebody? So for corporations or even small businesses that spend the time to put together, say, a brand guide you know, that they want to follow. If you're running around different places getting this item printed here and this item printed there or your apparel done in another place, um, it's very hard to keep consistency with the brand. So when we say protect it is keep it in the, the integrity of the brand the way that you meant it to be. So it's like, I mean, you are full service, one-stop shop, you can do pretty much any. What are some examples of some products that people can get here just across the spectrum? I basically say we can print anything but money. So <laughs> if you, uh, well, if, if you could, you wouldn't be in business right, here, right? Exactly. So, um, if, if your logo's on it, the first place you want to stop before you do anything is, is, is our company graphic creations, because if it's something that we possibly can't do, we can put you in the right direction of where maybe you should go. But uh, the challenge for me is to get somebody to find something I can't do with their, with their brand. Well, and that's something just that sentence right there. I love when I hear a business owner say that where it's, you know, if we can't do it, we're going to help you get to somebody that can. You know, I think that it takes a lot of confidence in your product and a lot of confidence in your company and just showcases the type of person that you are personally, where it's, you know, if you come to us and we can't do it, then buy. 
there's there's two different ways you could do that. It's either we're not going to do anything for you because we're not going to make any money off of it if we send you somewhere else, or it's hey, you know, we can't do this, but I know somebody. Here's a warm connection that you can go to um, to make sure they get taken care of. Because more often than not, if you take care of the person, at some point in the future, they're going to end up coming back. Well, that yeah, you're right, and that that solidifies the relationship. And you know, one of the things too is we stay extremely transparent when it comes to you know, what we do in-house versus what we send out. And inside our industry, I like to say it's, you know, it's fairly incestuous. There's not one printer that can do absolutely everything. So we've already networked with wholesale printers and people to work specifically in our trade just with printers. Mm -hmm. So if it's something that I can't do, I will send it out. And then at that point, we're just managing the project and protecting our customers. And the pricing's still good, and, and they don't have to go to two or three different places to try to find what they want. We've already done the homework. You're just the hub. Exactly. Yeah, and that 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 puts people at ease for sure. If they know that a lot of time, my, my dad always told me I grew up with a salesman as a father, right? So he was a respiratory therapist, and then he worked his way up to owning a medical sales company. And he always told me growing up that you can't sell a fifty thousand dollar ventilator on a five cent relationship. So if you were able to protect the relationship and that customer's story, you're able to protect the the sales you know relationship because inevitably we, we you have to make money to make the world go round, but if money is your sole focus, a lot of times you make less because your people feel that. They can feel that you're more focused on the dollar than you are on them. And if you end up making that person feel like they're protected, like graphic creations is a home for them, it completely changes the vibe or how difficult it is to sell stuff to somebody. That's well said. I mean, it, it, it's very true. We we focus, we're very customer-centric, and I know a lot of people say that, but we try to make it feel like home when they come in. It's you know it's inviting. People can walk around. No office doors are closed. Uh, so we try to keep an open open atmosphere here. That's awesome. So so why don't we we'll we'll back up now. Now we know what you do. We'll go back to where we started. So where did you grow up? I grew up right outside of Washington D.C. Uh, graduated high school in Alexandria, Virginia. I'll go ahead and date myself 1986 hmm. and. Uh, I moved around all around D.C., but ultimately ended up in Alexandria and graduated high school there. Gotcha. So <clears throat> you actually, I mean, if, for uh, our movie fanatics, which high school did you graduate from? Well, uh, I graduated from T.C. Williams High School. So the movie was Remember the Titans. Most people have seen it. It's, it's an old movie. Uh, ironically, my track coach or one of the track coaches was Coach Yost, which was the assistant coach in the movie. He was still at the high school when uh, I was there. Awesome. Um, we didn't know he was so famous then, but. <laughs> um, so when did you start working? When was the first time you were ever involved with graphic creations? Because the company was founded in 87. Yep. Am I right? Yep. Cool. You were correct. Uh, so I started in 87, about six months after my dad opened it. I say, so right from the jump, you've been here, huh? Yeah. Well, I would have moved earlier over. I was working actually at a competitor, Kinko's, which my dad had worked at at the time and left and decided to do it on his own with his partner and uh, couldn't afford to pay me yet. So I stayed at Kinko's until it kind of worked into the system and then, mm-hmm. you know, worked all the way through college. Gee, so what, what was your first job here? Uh, first job was, you know, binding books and running copiers. I mean, that was the the heart of it. You know, just everybody did everything. Yeah, yep, just out on the floor and service and equipment, you know, just making sure we kept kept the copiers running well and that's what i love so these so the smaller businesses like these family-owned companies these a lot of times that when i meet with the owners and stuff like your, your sentence right there kind of hits it all it's just everybody did everything 
because when you were starting out right before that, you said that he couldn't afford to pay you right off the bat. So you kind of had to wait a little bit for the systems to be in place to do that. But when you get that experience at the lower level, when you're kind of doing everything from servicing copiers to printing the stuff, to binding the stuff, to getting it, it gives you such an in-depth understanding and then ability to manage those people when you move up. I feel it the same way. Um, my grandfather was in the Corps, right, before I joined the, the Air National Guard. Um, and he basically told me, he was like, hey, you're going to join the Air Force and go to school because he's like, you're going to end up as an officer someday. But you have to at least make it to staff sergeant before you commission. Because he told me that if you are able to go in as, at the, as an E1, the bottom of the enlisted tier, work your way up to the point where your leaders trust you enough to lead a group of, at this point, I'm in charge of training. So I lead a group of about 30 to 45 um, new enlistees and train them up before they go to boot. He's like, if you can go get to the point where your leadership trusts you, and as a technical sergeant now in E6, I'm putting in my officer package. It's a totally different vibe than if you were to just step in to an officer position and have to lead people without having any prior knowledge of what it's like being the one out on the floor. Grassroots. Yeah. So have you have you seen any of that be applicable when you're dealing with employees and and stuff like that? Yeah, there's you know, there's a there's a gap and I'm sure we'll talk about it in between when I was here uh, in college and then what I went and did for 15 years. So, right. you know, when I came back to technology, it changed a lot, but uh, you know, I can still jump in the back and bind books and, you know, moderately run equipment if I have to, but the, the technology is, uh, changed so much that, you right. know, more focused kind of on the operational side. And yeah. And I feel, side. I think that it just knowing what it feels like to be that person out on the floor, you know, what, because when you're, when you're that level of employee, you know, your livelihood depends on that paycheck week to week of coming in, doing a job, getting it done and knowing, remembering what it feels like to be that person binding books to buy food can completely change a manager's point of view. So, I mean, you mentioned it there. Why don't we talk about um, what happened? So you, you, you had your job started in 1987, worked your way through college, I'm assuming, and, and you graduated college with what type of degree? I got a degree, a bachelor's degree in uh, retail consumer science with a minor in marketing. So, so what is retail consumer science? It's basically a degree. It's more kind of an entrepreneurial, small business focus uh, versus, you know, going through the college of business, right? Which I couldn't get into college of business because <laughs> my grades suck. So I had to take it. Had to take another route, but um, ended up making the best of it. So it was really, you know, we had to build, a co- uh, create a company in our senior year. Uh, of college and, you know, do build a business plan and do all kinds of fun stuff. So it was, it was a good major. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like you said, sometimes you got to take a different path, but sometimes those detours dump you exactly where you were meant to end up anyway. So you're right. It's always easier to look back in hindsight though and say, Oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. When you're failing calculus, you don't feel like there's a path (laughs) that you're going. If it it helps, I failed calculus too. So, um, so we graduated school, and then you said, like you said, you spent 15 years in the corporate world. So why don't we walk a little bit through that? What was your first job out of college? So my first job, well, after leaving graphics, I did a couple of small things. Um, but we, uh, or I ended up at Sherwin-Williams Automotive Finishes in 1994. I started with, with them and uh, basically was, you know, on the feet, on the ground feet, selling so mm-hmm. traveling around, uh, calling on body shops and collision centers and fleet truck companies and things like that, selling automotive finished paint. Gotcha. Yeah. Wait, what was 
So you got to travel then with that. Was it kind of like a set your own schedule kind of deal? Or well, I had I had a you know territory from basically Knoxville all the way up to almost just outside of Roanoke, Virginia. So I covered a pretty big area. There was a lot of distributors of the product, and so I worked mostly with the distributors and then helping them push the product into the, gotcha. the end user. Yeah. So at that point, we had when did you transition from? Because when we left you, I think we were still in Washington D.C. And then you transitioned over to Tennessee. When did that transition happen? So I graduated in 86. I got here in January, basically, of 87. Okay. Prior so to that, I my buddy and I traveled around the country for six months. Gotcha. We were going to go in the military, buddy system, do all that. And then, I don't know, something hit me in the head and I decided to go to college. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you moved to Tennessee in 87. So Graphic Creations has always been a local Knoxville company. So, I mean, pretty much since I, you know, about it, it started in uh, August of 87. So, and I got here in January. So it was gotcha. pretty much since I've gotcha. been here. Graphics okay. Has been okay. Here, yeah. That's what I was curious because I, I thought that the schooling and maybe leaving the corporate world happened in DC, but that all happened right here yeah. at home yep. in Knoxville. Okay. Awesome. Um, now, this is a question that I always throw at, at, at guests, and we kind of sent this to you uh, a little bit of an advance so that you could have a, an idea on it. But I'm always curious, and especially from a graphics perspective, this is a cool question, I think. Um, if you could have one billboard anywhere, right, with anything on it, and this is basically just a message that you want to get out to the world and, um, you know, something positive that you would want to say, what would it be? Maybe a couple of words or a paragraph, but what would you put on that billboard? I thought that was an interesting question. I had to, you know, I had to think about it for a hot second, but um, I, it, the thing that drives me is, you know, be kind, be respectful, trustworthy, and, uh, you know, be giving, give of yourself, give of what you work for. Don't be afraid uh, to step out there and do stuff for others. It, you know, pays back tenfold. And not necessarily monetarily, but, you know, it does in your heart and your in your soul. It feels good to be able to help others. Um, so I would just say do that. And uh, it's a lot better than the opposite. Right. Right. And I think so when you what you just said right there, that it doesn't pay back necessarily monetarily. Um, there's so many people that I know that are focused on, you know, uh, I do a favor, you do a favor. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. The the message that I consistently get in my social media is like, hey, let's collaborate. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Which is good. There's a place for that. Yep. Right. You need to be able to do that. There needs to be synergistic growth um, just in the small business world in general. But doing things with the understanding that it's may not pay back monetarily. When I do um, personal coaching with people, people ask me all the time, like, hey, you're 24 years old. Who are you to be doing personal coaching with people? Um, but then I kind of give a little bit of the backstory and say what we've been able to do so far and makes people a little bit more at ease. But basically what I say is you're, you're building your personal brand on a daily basis. Whether you're a manager, you're an entry-level employee, you're a CEO or a partial owner, a board member, your personal brand goes through a tryout every time you leave your house. So what do you want your footprint to be? If you're known, your personal brand, your reputation is another word that people use, is this guy is giving, trustworthy, honest. He hits his deadlines. He's willing to go outside of the box. He's willing to lose a bit of his profit margin to make sure that he helps you out. That kind of stuff dissipates throughout communities. So my grand, and I talk about my grandpa all the time, right? But 
he always said that your last name can either bring light into a room or suck all the light out of it. Very so, true. So what does that last name mean, right? And that's where I think it pays back outside of that monetary value. If people know that you're willing to be kind, open-minded, and trusting, and that's your personal brand, when you walk into a room or you're trying to pitch or you're trying to do something positive for somebody, even if money is involved, they're way more comfortable with you. And that reputation is just going to exude excellence from the top down. And it's going to make other people within the company want to be more like that, right? It's, it's, uh, it's very true. And, you know, so, you know, obviously when you get networked in the community and typically when that, I feel like when that happens, you're going to find a passion outside your business. And for me, uh, it was the boys and girls club. Mm -hmm. So they were a customer, you know, they were buying some, you know, a few things here and there. And, uh, I got to go do a tour of one of the boys and girls club Mm -hmm. and, uh, got to be invited to be on one of the, be on a board with the boys and girls club. And then, that led to uh, getting on the committee for the Philip Former Golf Tournament, which I've done for the last five years. So inside of the revenue is a passion that has come for the Boys and Girls Club. So when people ask me to donate or do something, you know, it's like I, I'm always looking at what's it going to take away from the Boys and Girls Club that mm. I could give to them. Right. So uh, it's become, you know, through business, it's become a passion in the community. And you see these young kids – coming up. And if you can touch one of their lives, I have a couple of them that have already come through here and interned and seen what we do at graphics, learned some practical skills, got a feeling for working in a small business. Uh, you know, they're the future leaders. They're the future people that are going to be coming into our companies. And Boom. so I love what they're doing over at the Boys and Girls Club. It's, yep. it's really cool. 110%. I The future leaders idea, right? And that's why I love when I got Uh, selected to be the NCOIC, um, the non-commissioned officer in charge of training, I was still technically a senior airman. I was one of the youngest people selected to be in charge of that training unit. Um, But my biggest thing is, prior to me taking over, what those people were able to be exposed to was rank and regulation, customs and courtesies, basics. I switched it a little bit, and I I gave them less of that, which meant that they were more surprised when they got to boot, but I kind of wanted them to be more surprised when they got down there, (laughs) because that's the whole point. Um... But besides that, I started teaching critical thinking skills, leadership tactics, how to deal with being at the bottom of the totem pole, how to get excited about sweeping a floor or cleaning tools, what that meant for the overall mission of the Air Force. Um, And I, two years ago, about a year after I had taken over the program, I had a senior master sergeant approach me from the maintenance quadrant that was like, what are you doing to these kids? What, What do you mean? At first, I was like, I'm going to have to pop to attention and I'm going to, but, you know, my attitude. Um, But he was like, I haven't had kids so excited to sweep a floor, clean tools in forever. What are you telling them? Like, how does this work? I was like, well, if you tell them that sweeping a floor frees up somebody else inside of that small business structure, right, that has been there for four years, that knows how to fix the copier that's broken, now they see why sweeping the floor is important. Because if they don't do it, it's not going to get done. So if you get people to understand why that bottom level is so important, they see that overall picture, they're able to be like, oh, I'm an integral piece of this party. Well, and they, and when that happens, you get, you know, what I call uh, employees that are engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just showing up. They're engaged in the business. They're doing things uh, that maybe doesn't necessarily fit inside what they would describe as their job description. Right. Uh, for example, you know, I've had employees – one employee, when we, we box and ship a lot of stuff, and he he was fairly new, and he 
he made an announcement at the meeting that he felt like, you know, the last thing we're doing is boxing up these great looking products and we're putting them in, we're boxing them really crappy. Why don't we buy this tape machine that they use at Amazon to make the boxes look really pretty? And so I invested the 1200 bucks and our boxes look better. It was just an employee with his blinders off going, hey, you guys aren't seeing this the same way I am. So, right. You know, big difference. And uh, so well, the, I mean, like, those employees are actively in the weeds, doing it on a daily basis. Yeah. And that that's a cool, you know, observation. It's like we have this beautiful product we're putting inside of a shitty box. Yeah. Like, why don't we? Right. So, you know, the packaging is is key. And, you know, our name's printed on the box. And it was just the way we were putting the tape on. It just, you know, it looked kind of ranky. So hmm. it was it was it was a nice suggestion. And, you know, of course, then when you're talking about people, you know, it's it, my big thing is, is is our delivery people. It's not only what's in the box, but it's how it's delivered. If it's not shipped GPS and we're delivering locally, the last thing our employees or last thing our customers see is that delivery driver. Yep. So how that's done with a smile and, you know, with an engaging conversation, not just drop the box, put your head in your lap, get the signature and leave. Right. That makes a big difference. Yeah. When you're getting phone calls about your delivery driver and how great they are. It's a it's a really good feeling. Well, that explains why Mike is so good at that. Was so good at that position that I mean, he outside of just personal association, I've watched him start conversations and be engaged in conversations with complete strangers for no reason. Yep. So you, you, if you have that ability to walk into a room and just start conversation, the, the beautiful thing is, is, and I tell people, if, if you're bad at that, start with gas station clerks, start with Starbucks baristas, you know, start with whoever you can get a hold of that's kind of, I say trapped. Like yeah. they're, they're forced to talk to you because they're checking you out or, right. you know, something. Uh, and, and practice, like, just ask them, you know, how's your day going? You know, I see your, you got a ring on, how's, how's the, how's the marriage? You know, kind of digging a little bit deeper beyond that superficial, hey, how's your day going? Good. Silence. And so then they leave. It was, and it was, to your point, it was, you know, it was kind of tough to promote Mike into the CSR role because I was losing a great delivery, great, you know, point person for our company. Right. So, you know, you got to, then we got to start looking and, you know, lo and behold, something, something falls in my lap that was phenomenal. And somebody I've known for 30 years that was looking for something different to do. And I've had more phone calls about our new delivery driver. You know, I needed to see that guy today. He made me smile. Good. So yeah, those little touches, they make everything. Um, All right. So we'll move on to another one here. If you had to choose a book that has most influenced your business decisions in the last decade, what would they be? Two, you know, two books stand out from a, you know, really from a business perspective. And I don't read a ton. Uh, I try to read more than I uh, did the previous year, but it doesn't always work. But <laughs> Good to Great uh, was one of my favorite books. We actually, when I was at Sherwin Williams, it's a book we read as we were we were going through some cultural shift. And um, pretty much any Jim Collins book is just yeah. phenomenal. That dude is. He's yeah, so he's insightful. Awesome. Yeah, especially when it comes to small business. And then uh, Story Brand uh, was the latest one that I've read. That actually, trying to working on implementing some of the uh, you know the concepts inside his book. You know, it's basic. It's keep it simple. It was a good refresher. And you know, right. kind of most books when you read them, you like them. It's usually they're stating the obvious, and mm. but it's still mm-hmm. aha moments come out of it. And so those are two of my favorite yeah so we'll make sure that uh for those that are listening we'll make sure that those are in the show description uh so that you guys can find links to those but my big thing so i and i've read both of them and and listen i actually technically didn't read them i listened to them because i'm moving consistently and i've i can not focus on reading for longer than 10 minutes at a time so it might take me six months to read a 
50 page book. Oh yeah. You know? I'm the same way. Um, but I drive a lot. So I tend to listen to the audiobooks. Uh, and my big thing with, with listening to, to good to great was just, and, and we kind of already talked about it is, is the little processes that make people feel engaged or what make companies last beyond the CEO. And that's what good to great or built to last or any of these books by Jim Collins talks about is what systems are you putting in place that the company is going to survive without you in it? Because there's a lot of people that are, and I want to say narcissistic, but they're, they're prideful in the fact that they've built something and that they turn the company into something that they are the cornerstone. And if you pull that cornerstone out, the company would collapse. Well, and, and many times, you know, it's like you, I think people, they, they think that and it's easy to do that when you've got, you know, you've got all your chips in, you're going to hold on a little bit tighter and it's, mm-hmm. and it's hard to, it's hard to let go. And it's, you know, it's what I tell everybody here is I'm trying to get to a point where I'm not in the process because if I'm in the process, then it's, it's already broken. So I need to be working on it, not in it. And that's a very hard thing to do, but that's my focus right now is getting a little bit above so I can be focus on bringing them the tools to do their job, to make us better for our customers, to have the right equipment, right. you know, the right marketing, the right branding. And that's where I need to be. But at the same time, you know, I've got customers that still call me and want to deal with me. And so I'm slowly working and I don't want to be out of touch. I just want them to be able to feel functioning without me being in the process. Right. Me to be able to leave Thursday and Friday and <clears throat> my phone not ring is a great feeling. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I mean, and I kind of uh, just working in the medical field, right? I compare it to the docs being able to trust their nurses. You know, we have a set of standard protocol orders that we have. I mean, as an ICU nurse, I can titrate meds. I can draw labs. I can do pretty much anything outside of saying, hey, this patient needs a new medication or surgery or something else. But I'll do everything in my power to not have to call the doc, you know, network with my NPs, talk to other people to make sure that I'm doing as much as I can to allow that person to be outside of the process. Well, then that way the doc can see more patients and mm-hmm. be uh, more engaged versus, you know, trying to do the tactical stuff. And that's right. what I'm working on is strategic versus tactical and how I spend my time. And Now, have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? Do you know who that is? No. Okay. So you're going to love him first. Uh, we'll kind of tie this story brand idea into Jocko. Okay. So story brand is what Donald Miller, that's his name, yeah. right? Um, so his whole perspective is distilling down your company's message into something that's graspable and that you are able to push out into the world. I mean, his big thing is, is distilling down a one liner, you know, and what is your company? Who are you? Um, and I, I mean, I love that because I think that a lot of, especially in today's social media world, everything's super busy. Everyone's being bombarded with content. And if we, the world, there's a market shift happening right now. And the world is kind of shifting back towards local small businesses, um, ethics, social responsibility, and stuff like that. And uh, as people are starting to wake up to it, they're being awoken to the fact that the people that have that personal brand name that they've been working on for the last five to 10 years, that people believe them to be socially responsible and ethical and everything else, are going to they're going to see a boom. And that's you know me putting it on audio so that I can reference this clip five years from now and be like, ha I was right. Yeah. Um, good. But Jocko, so Jocko is a prior service Navy SEAL commander. Okay. He, um, actually commanded Chris Kyle's unit when they were in Ramadi. So military brat, right. I love listening to military leadership. Um, 
I just put in my captain's officer package. So in prep for that, I went back and reread two of his books. Um, what the first one's called extreme ownership. And the second one's called the dichotomy of leadership. So it's, you used those terms, right? Where's the strategic level? What's the tactical level? Okay, and he talks about both of those from a military standpoint. The big thing that I think that you're doing a, you're a good job of right now and you're kind of talking about it is he has a system in place called detachment. And he basically makes a reference to like the Sims. Um, and I was actually laughing. I gave a speech at a university not too long ago and I referenced the Sims and it was to like freshmen. Nobody knew what it was. <laughs> I was like, damn. I was like, I'm not even that old, guys. Come on. Like, gotcha. you can't date that. Then I was like, oh, well, I guess I was like Windows 95. <laughs> um, <coughs> so, but it's, it's looking at yourself in the third person. And he said leaders a lot of times get too caught up in the weeds because they're afraid to let go of the process. They're afraid to trust because they have so many chips in the game that they're afraid to trust their people. He said that, that is the biggest way for organizations to fail. In the military, that's how you get people killed. And he was like, in the business world, that's how you kill revenue. If you're too involved in the weeds, because what happens is you're so involved in the weeds and the process and the daily tasks that you don't have vision. So in order to get that vision, you have to detach, look at yourself in the third person. And he said, you know, take two steps physically back from the line of fire so that you can see that machine gun or you can see that tank coming up over the hill. Because if you're actively involved in the firefight, you can't protect your troops. Right. If you're in a tank, you're in trouble. Yep. Your entire mission should be to see the entire battlefield as the leader, not be the one actively shooting the M60. So I think that that's a really sweet idea that, that you have as far as the way that you phrased your position is I need to be able to see the vision. I need to be able to work on the process, not be in the process. That um, is right. And it, it, I instantly started thinking about Jocko and how he talked about that in his book. I have to make a note and read that for sure. Yeah, get, and I can six make month sure. read. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or get it done. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that you would enjoy it. He's got a lot of really good points in there too. Well, you you know the thing is too is with the uh, in December I I bought out uh, my partner and so at the time you know I really had been. She was kind of operational, and I was more on the sales marketing side, so I didn't get myself too bogged down. Well, it's forced me a little bit more into the business, which is, you know, as I say, I, I want to be more strategic than tactical. Well, right now, being tactical has been beneficial because it's I've got the blinders off on what needed to be updated, done, right. fixed, changed um, in order to continue to grow. And now i got to be able to kind of step back and get, you know, get to a more strategic level and one of the things we're working on uh, in terms of setting up, you know, kind of structure is I don't, I don't want to have to run around the building to figure out what happened. I really want to have, you know, one throat to choke. So I have one right. person that I can go to and say, okay, what happened? Give me the details versus, you know, hitting all different points right, until I right. get the answer. So that that's going to be a big help and big change for us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's that basic chain of command structure is 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 super important. I mean, and right now, uh, Apex Communications is only a team of four, um, but we still have a choke point um, before me just because I, I, I'm i more focused. I'm trying to focus on the vision, on the networking, on the traveling a little bit and getting to know people. So if, if anything goes wrong or there's a decision that needs to be made, we have three rules, right? And the first rule is, does it positively impact our listeners or our customers? If it doesn't, go back and reevaluate your decision. Don't even ask anybody. Second, if it does benefit the customers or our, our listeners, consult at least one other member of the team. 
And then the third one is a monetary thing. It's like, does it cost over five grand? If so, it automatically needs to come up to me. Um, but other than that, we're so focused on helping the end user that my choke point can handle 90% of everything. And uh, it really helped free me up because when I was involved in the post-editing and the pre-editing and you know, microphone purchasing, where are we buying equipment? Who are we interviewing next? Where is that location going to be? At this point, most of the time I just show up sit behind a microphone and I can record. And then the other side of it is focusing on what we're doing with the consulting side. So it's, it's cool how like when you're, you're in the tactical stuff, you get to learn a lot about the inner workings of the tactical side so that when you're at the strategic level and stuff starts to go wrong, you know those tactical processes that are probably disconnected. Yeah, you can't fix what you don't know is broken. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to get in a little bit, uh, you know, and mull around a little bit, ask questions, you know, look for ideas and then, be able to step back is key. And, you know, I think if most people will stop and just think and ask themselves basic questions, just like you just laid out, they, it, first of all, it's empowering and it's trusting. It's showing that you trust the people that work with you and around you. And, you know, and then, then they can more times than not make the right decision. If they've all got right. the customer is the most important point. If it benefits them, like you said, it's, it's it makes a decision a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with, with these books and some of these lessons and everything like that, what is one of the best investments um, you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be money. It could be time. It can be energy. Um, but there's always investment, regardless of whether it's monetary or time. It, it requires a portion of your attention that you're, you're divvying away. And every single second time goes by, and you can't get those seconds back. So pretty much every action, this is an investment here, sitting this in the interview. So if you had to pick some of your favorite, what would they be? Well, it was interesting when you, you posed that. And so I, I looked at it from, you know, all three of those uh, uh, points that you gave. And, you know, from a money perspective or investment perspective, uh, absolutely December 14th of 2018, buying my partner out uh, out of the business and the property was my best investment of money. Uh, best investment of time, you know, I think any time that you can get with family, uh, which becomes scarce sometimes when you, when you own a business or even, even if you don't own a business, if you're working and traveling, uh, that gets very difficult at times to do. And then in terms of, uh, energy, uh, putting my energy into my perspective, uh, and existing customers is, uh, uh, what I, I think is probably the best. And I think that, I mean, that's, that's where a lot of it should be. You know what I mean? It, when people talk about entrepreneurship, a lot of times they neglect the fact that it removes time investable in other areas. Inevitably, we all have 86,400 seconds in a day, right? So, it, I mean, it's a renewable resource because every day you get that bang As long as we renewed, wake up. As long as you wake up, right? And so that's the, the biggest thing. And, and I love Gary Vaynerchuk when he talks about this because he says that he doesn't get high on any type of exogenous substance. He gets high on gratitude because he's so grateful for the fact that he woke up today with another 86,400 seconds to be able to invest that time in doing things that he loves doing. And that's, that's my biggest thing. I, I know people that, you know, something bad happens and inevitably it, everything does. I mean, stuff goes wrong. Murphy's law is real. Um, but my biggest thing, and it kind of hit me my senior year of nursing school where I almost, I actually almost got kicked out of the nursing program um, because I was working two full-time jobs. Um, 
well, a full-time job and a part-time job. I was in the service. Like I had the guard duties that I was doing um, and then full-time nursing school. And I was so tired at one point that I made it to my clinical site, but fell asleep in my truck and didn't actually make it into the hospital. And that was my second unsatisfactory. So you were, you're allowed to get three in a year before they boot you. Right. So I was down to one and I had six weeks left to go in the program. Um, but it was just the people around and, and taking the time saying, okay, you know what, this other part-time job, I don't need it. This isn't helping my future. It's giving me play money, you know, but you don't have time, but I don't have time to play, you know, I'm done with this. So I'm cutting that out of my 86,400 seconds. I'm reprioritizing. I'm going to spend the majority of my time studying. I needed to stop going out on the weekends. I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, so it was a wake up call. So I, when I, when I encounter people that say, oh, this bad thing happened or this bad thing happened, I'm like, okay, first of all, was it self-inflicted? Is it something that you could have controlled? And a lot of times people don't think that they could have, but I was like, all right, now look at all these decisions that you made that led up to this point. What if we would have changed one of those? Okay. First step. Second step is now it happened. You can't go back and change it. So the only option you have is what are you doing moving forward? You know, you're, you're going to have the option to have a new 86,400 tomorrow, as long as you wake up, right? What are you going to do with it? You can either wallow or you can start following the path in front of you, right? Because deep down in people's guts, 90% of the time, they know where they should be going. But our brain tries to disconnect it. And a lot of people get so out of touch with following their gut instinct that they don't trust it anymore. Well, and if you don't, if you don't analyze what's happened, right, you can't create uh, situational awareness. So when you come into a similar situation, how are you going to handle it or change it or do it differently? Right, so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And that's what people are like, oh, I don't even want to think about that. That was so horrible. I was like, okay, well, if you don't think about it, how are you going to prevent it from happening a second time? You, know, you have to be able to, I, I tell people to sit in the abyss for a certain period of time, just sit in the dark, you know, bad shit happens. Instead of being one of those people that's like, everything's going to be great. Just bounce back. The sun's going to come up, blah, 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 like all happy go lucky BS. I'm like, no, like crap goes sideways. Sit in the darkness for you a little a wall bit. Or a little. Yeah. Just it, like you sit in the darkness, eventually find a candle, light it. But sometimes sitting there without any vision and just understanding like this sucks. Know and remember what that felt like. Because yeah. that's what's going to be your motivator to not let it happen a second time. Well, it's, you know, and, it, and, and you're right. You get, you know, when something, we do something wrong here, we mess up a job or whatever, you know, sitting down and talking about it and, you know, kind of root cause analysis is important because we want to not have that same mistake again. But I also tell my employees that, you know, the reason the rearview mirror in your car is so small is because what behind you is not near as important as what's in front of you. Right. So we, we've analyzed it. We, we, we have a solution and let's move forward. Well, and that's the you, um, the Swiss cheese effect is a big thing, too. You know, you have all these holes in different processes, and it may be caught 90% of the time, but if all those holes line up and it flips through, if you don't do root cause analysis, you're never going to figure out how those holes lined up to the point where, you know, somebody missed this here, this person missed this check here, this person missed this check here, next thing you know, a patient's given a wrong med. Right. So how do we prevent that from happening? But those things are, you know, to your point, are, are, are those, those are building moments, you know. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when the holes do line up, it's happening for a reason so that you can, you can get a broader perspective of your business and what's broken. Right. And, you know, hopefully quickly fix it. Yeah. It's, it can either be disciplinary or teachable. 
So, I mean, sometimes it's a mixture of both. Inevitably, it has to be. But if you make the discipline strict discipline and not teachable, then people are just going to mess up and expect punishment. But if you actually teach something out of it, you may prevent it from happening again. And then people understand, okay, this is why I was being disciplined for this action. Here's where we are moving forward. Line, reline up the hole so that they don't fall through and move on. Yeah, so, we have a few. I mean, I have one thing that is if we mess up a job, doesn't really make me angry or frustrated. It only makes me angry or frustrated if it makes it all the way to the customer. Right. We're going to mess it up. Let's catch it here and fix it. Make the phone call. But if our product goes out, you know, we've got Tennessee spelled wrong on something or whatever that oh. we've designed, you know, we, yeah. uh, which I have a great story about that. But anyway, yeah. So that, as long as it doesn't make it to the customer, it, you know, it's a definite, you know, it's more of a coachable uh, situation. If it gets to the customer, it, it, it we've got different problems. Right. So, and, and that's kind of will lead us into this last question here. And then I've got a couple of uh, miscellaneous stories to ask you about um, just talking to SP yesterday. But we have the, this final one here. It, there's a lot of people, and I think that entrepreneurship is popular right now, right? Um, there's a lot of people that are trying to step into the world because social media has basically given people the ability, you know, we have $400,000 distribution devices in our pocket now. In the 80s, an iPhone, the capabilities that an iPhone has as far as personal branding and distribution were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and now everyone's walking around with them in their pockets. Um, so people now are able to broadcast, you know, hey, I'm driving this amazing car. I'm doing this sales funnel thing. There's, you see it all the time on Facebook, right? Uh, so it's popular, but it's not easy. And a lot of those people that, that grow fast die fast. So if you were looking, you know, just from what you've experienced as far as working at graphics in the, eight, in the 80s, to going through corporate America and where you ended up now, if you had to give advice to a smart, driven, you know, college student that's about to enter the world of entrepreneurship, what would it be? And what advice should they ignore from other people? Uh, we've kind of touched on it, really. I think, you know, the five whys to me has always uh, been an important tool. You know, when something is wrong or something, even if something you think is right, is do that deep dive get a solution. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Keep asking why do you get to a really solid answer that makes sense and that you can use the information with. So don't be afraid to do that. You know, you gotta, you have to analyze. You can't just, everything can't just be gut, gut instinct and plow ahead and mm -hmm. go forward. You know, you really, you've got to, you've got to do some of that strategic thinking and, you know, question asking. Uh, in terms of um, things that I would say to people also is, don't be afraid to trust people. There's a lot of people out there say, go around with your guard up, you know, but if you spend your time worried about trusting, and this is where sometimes you got to follow your gut, you're going to get paralyzed with, you know, you're going to have that kind of paralysis by analysis thing. Yep. If you don't let people, you know, that say that they can help you help or get engaged. And if, and, and they're inevitably you're going to get let down and somebody's going to break your trust and you're going to have that failure, but that's all part of growing. And that's all part of learning and understanding personality and people's traits and, and what you look for in business partners or banking partners, or even in your customers. So right. I, I think that that's keys. Don't be afraid because there is a lot of good people out there that can help your business. Um, you know, for example, I mean, you talk about, I mean, sitting here, I'm, 
I'm, I'm don't really know you. I've talked to you, but I'm trusting that this hour is going to be worth my time. Right. You know, right. based off what you shared with me. So if I didn't trust, I just, you know, I just, you know, say, no, I don't have time to do it. So, um, and by the way, it's been worth my time. So beautiful. Yeah. That. I so, appreciate that. Um, I think also if, if you really, if you just use those principles, um, you know, and stay true to yourself, stay true to what you believe the product is. People are going to tell you, you know, oh, you can't do that. That's not going to work. I've tried that. I've seen somebody mm-hmm. do that. Those people are usually the people that are afraid to take a chance on something. So they're telling you and sharing their fears, not necessarily something you need to be fearful of. You know, it's, you know, if somebody says don't jump out of an airplane, you know, because, you know, it's way too high. Well, they're afraid of heights. You know, if you're not afraid right. of heights, go jump. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, when you sent that back in the email, I, that hit home for me, especially and my team. And I kind of read through these questions and answers with my team and stuff because going into podcasting, communications, consulting, um, there's not a whole lot of people that are doing internal corporate podcasting, right? That's not, there's no Fortune 500 companies that are doing internal podcasting like that, or at least not providing it. There's a lot of Fortune 500 companies that do internal podcasting for their employees, but that will get out. I'm not going to run through my sales pitch on the mic. Um, (laughs) But the amount of times that I've talked to people, people ask me what I do, right? When I say I'm an ICU nurse that works 3P to 3A, three days a week, taking care of intensely ill people, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, good for you. You went to school. Congratulations. And then I'm like, and then I also own a communications network with my partners, um, this is what we do here. And they're like, oh, that's a cool hobby. Hobby. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess, but that's the perception of you it didn't right say now. I was playing golf. You said right. you own yeah. a communications company. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's what people, especially, and it, that tends to be more the baby boomer mentality, um, which I've done. I, I do speeches. One of the speeches that I do is called The Art of Followership, um, because I think that leadership, if you tell the entire entry-level demographic, and, and I, I experienced this when I went through school, made it all the way through, and until I got to boot, and was basically told I was, you know, a piece of gravel, and then slowly built back up into a human being, um, that you have to learn to follow before you can learn to lead. And I, I said, you know, you were telling sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors in college that they're leader, 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 leader. They enter the job field, they're forced to be a follower, they don't know how to do it. Because their entire life, they've been told you need to be a leader. And if you tell everybody that they need to be a chief, they can't even, they don't even know how to be an Indian when they first enter the job field. And it's creating that. That's what I see is the biggest disconnect between baby boomer, Gen X managers, millennial, iGen, Gen Z, entry level employees. This is that disconnect. Everybody's being told to lead. They have a, access to instant gratification with technology and Google and everything else. And then the upper level stuff is either blind to the fact that they have experience with technology, can bring that into the workforce, or how to say, hey, this is why we need you to learn to follow first. That's probably the most popular address that I give when I do consulting for companies and they have me come in and talk to their teams is just why is it a blessing to be in the weeds and be a follower? And what does that mean as far as being able to have the honor of supporting your upper level management? Because they're the ones, if you're not supporting them correctly, they can't step back because they have to be involved. They're not going to be able to have that vision, and the company's not going to be as successful. So you're, you making sure Tennessee's not misspelled 
is going to make sure that they have the ability to do their job. And it has been awesome watching these people's like eyes go boom. They're like, oh, shit. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and you know, I, th- I think that the younger generation uh, coming, into the, coming into the workplace has a lot more bandwidth and capacity and knowledge and extremely intelligent. And that's great. And, it's, and the other piece that's needed with that in, in order to lead is to be able to engage in conversation, mm-hmm. look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, yep. have, a, have a social conversation and, 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 you know, be able to do that. And with the knowledge and, and direction that they have and open mind that they have, you, you put those two things together, it's going to be extremely dangerous. But right. you got to have, you got to go through a little grit too. I mean, you, yeah. you, know, you got to get in and do it. And, uh, and I think when that happens to your point, you, you're going to feel accomplished, like, you know, doing some of that versus just stepping up on the, you know, at the podium and telling everybody what to do or right. how it's going to be is, is, is not going to grow you as a person. Yeah. It's just, it's a blessing being able to go through the struggle. Struggle is a blessing, especially when you first enter the workforce. You know, I learned more when I first started in the, in the military, I was essentially filing things, stapling papers, you know what I mean? And and doing audits on records and stuff. But what I learned is how to operate every single one of those systems, how to troubleshoot all of those systems, you know, what records are where, what forms contain what data, you know, where are all of these contained? Um, And then, you know, I was being told to go grab coffee for people or all this other kind of stuff. I was able to get coffee for the commander and have a conversation with him, you know, and network. So over the last six years, that's grown into now I am where I am. Because if you're purposeful when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, it'll have massive dividends four or five years down the line. But people get so caught up in the fact that they're at the bottom of the totem pole that they don't see that long-term investment. Yeah, they don't see the purpose. You yeah. Know, and, and everything has its purpose. I don't want to, you know, a lot of people say everything happens for a reason. And, 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 I, do, and I do believe that. But when you're in the reason, when that reason is happening <laughs> to you, it's very hard to see. Oh, yeah. And so if, every, if people <clears throat> could do that, if yep. we could all do that, we, we'd benefit a lot more. So usually the lesson comes after the fact when you go, if I should have, could have, would have kind of thing. Right. And, and, what I tell, and what I say to, to people is that if you can decrease the amount of time that everybody says hindsight is twenty twenty, right? The amount of time that you can decrease the hindsight is going to increase your effect, efficacy, your efficacy, yeah, your efficient how efficient you are. Um, because if that 2020 hindsight takes 10 years, probably not going to be yeah, your as aha moment took a little yeah, too long. You need, you need to be able to, you know, flip the switch 24 hours, 48 hours a week. You know, if it's something major, you can go through the five stages of grief and then look back and you're not being emotionless. You're just being purposeful about analyzing why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Um, but all right, we'll we'll kind of move on. There's a couple of things that I want to bring up as far as just some cool stories, and then we'll let you do a little bit of a plug here at the end. I noticed out on the um, out on the counter there, you have this graphics design pamphlet, right? And on the back it says top 100 printing companies 2018. Why? What what goes into earning that that gold um, medal for being a printing company? So that that is driven uh, through our industry association. They'll send out a survey every year, um, and it and honestly, it's, it's revenue driven. Um, number of employees, and you know what your what your top what your revenue is. So, mm-hmm. you know, in full disclosure, it, it doesn't mean that every printer 
in the U.S. filled out the survey. So, you know, <laughs> but of the ones that filled it out, we were in the top right. 100. So, um, and I suspect that this year we'll actually jump. I think we were 83rd last year. If if um, all holds true, we should jump up. Well, good. You know, That's I'm awesome. Thinking top fifty, but we'll, we'll see. And then um, last night, I was I was sitting because I stayed with uh, the Pettits while we were down here. I'm just, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Steve made us lasagna, made us breakfast in the morning. Yeah, Steve doesn't look like he's missed a meal. So, <laughs> oh boy. Um, so we were just sitting there talking. He pulls out this this pamphlet for um, McVeigh, and on the back, I see you know, graphic creations had the honor and the privilege of collaborating with the McVeigh family and creating this, this logo. What was that experience like being able to be that deeply involved with such a powerhouse in the 49ers legacy with John McVeigh? So there's been two distinct moments. And since I've been back here in 2009, uh, the McVeigh uh, piece, and I'll, I'll touch on that is number two in terms of how awesome you know, of a project that was, excuse me, number one was when the Medal of Honor convention came to Knoxville, we got tapped on the shoulder to design all the retractable banners for all the Medal of Honor recipients that were coming to the convention. So when they, they would stand up behind them and it would show when they, you know, when they earned, you know, what they did to earn uh, the Medal of Honor to receive it. So they put the whole thing on us to design the whole look and feel. And Sherry, who sits up front and has been with me seven, eight years, uh, I tasked her to do it, and she was nervous as all get out. And to this day, matter of fact, ironically, Friday, we got an email from the convention uh, director that's going to be in Tampa this year, uh, needs four more of the Medal of Honor recipient banners, which is awesome in itself because there's for so long they were not putting that, you know, Medal of Honor recipient, they were not awarding it to as many people as actually deserved it. So there was, right. it, when we did, there was 53 living recipients of the Medal of Honor. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we're getting close to 80, which is phenomenal when you think of how long we've been at war and right. how many lives and everything that's happened. So right. that was number one. <clears throat> number two was the McVeigh piece. And basically, we got tapped on the shoulder to put together John McVeigh's testimonial to get him inducted into the National Football Hall of Fame, which it's this year's the hundredth anniversary of uh, the NFL. So uh, that was pretty cool to see emails coming in from Jerry Rice and Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana and all these nice things that they got to say about uh, John McVeigh. So uh, Sherry, I tapped her on the shoulder to do that, and once again, she was nervous and crazy, afraid she couldn't do it, and. They brought us a piece in that they wanted us to emulate. And when we got done, the comment was that piece we showed you looked like a coloring book compared to what we have. So it was cool. It was really, really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And I I wanted to kind of touch on the the McVeigh piece too. And like you said, it's cool to get emails from these, these big names. Right. And we started off um, like three and a half years ago. Right. This, this all started off as a blog. Yeah. I did. I, there's 12 kids that committed suicide in nine months in my County in Ohio. They're all high school age kids. Unreal. And um, me and my buddy, it actually started out as something called JJD Thoughts, right? So it was Jan, Jacob, and Dominic Thoughts. It was just us writing about what our thoughts were on this cloud of darkness that had permeated our county. Um, but the blog on Facebook kind of started picking up some steam because we were basically just doing outreach. Uh, and then it kind of evolved. I met my co-founder. I was actually in Rome. I sang a cappella in college. Um, and we were in Rome going on tour 
and I met my co-founder, um, who I had known for a while, but we became really close while we were there. And he said, hey, these are all great. And he's like, why don't we, like, I have some audio equipment because I was in a band. He was like, why don't we just, so we had like two different microphones, different stands, just kind of was the first interview we ever did was in the, the living room of a gentleman that was shot and paralyzed at Kent State University. Oh, wow. During that whole ordeal. Um, but he went on to do marathons and he was a teacher for 20 years and everything else. And I remember sitting in that guy's living room. I was like, I want to do this for a living someday. Whatever we have to do to try to figure out to, to be able to sit and talk to interesting people and let them give their stories, their testimonials of sorts. And that's how the Apex was born. Um, I ended up getting an award my senior year of college that allowed me to give the commencement address. Um, which was titled The Apex of My Life is My Death. And it's basically just the entire premise of the podcast, our movement and everything we do is just every single day you have the opportunity to raise that apex because then an apex is the highest point of any path or object. So once you reach that mentally, the only direction you can go is down. So regardless of age, regardless of demographic, income, anything, you have a personal apex that you need to try to shoot for, push it up. And at this point, you know, three years down the road, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, seated across from the CEO of a graphics company doing an interview back home in Canton. We're networking with the mayor and, you know, ESPN announcers from the area, Hall of Fame people. And it is absolutely insane thinking about where everything started to where we are now in the course of that three years. But how much of a blessing it is to be able to have, I say, the privilege of doing it. And, and that project that you did with McVeigh, being able to talk to those people and get those testimonials in and having the privilege of being able to put that package together just makes me exponentially thankful that I decided somehow that, you know, God bless me with the ability to be, have this entrepreneurial mindset and be a victim of fate, time and circumstance, be in the right place at the right time to be able to do that kind of stuff for people. Because that's what I feel this really boils down to. I think your and I mentalities kind of, they, they link up in the fact that our end goal is to really help the, the customer, to help the end user and, and help them tell their story, whether it's through graphics and branding or audio. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's my, that's definitely my passion. And your story is, is awesome. And I, and I think when you look at it and you go, you know, how the circle gets really, really small and the fact, yeah. you know, with Pettit, his dad making his dad's the primary reason my deal happened. You know, I didn't. Right. You know, it was a Bevnap deal almost. People joke about it, but I didn't think any bank would do what it was going to take for me to do it the way I wanted to do it. And you know, he found a way to make it happen. That got me to Mike Pettit. That got me to the McVeigh family. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, that gets me to you. And you tie all that together, and it you know the circle gets really really small. And um, I'll tell if we've got time, I'll tell you the story about. Uh, Regal, and we're talking about community and yeah. you know just doing things. We'll hit that one, and then I want to end it with the misspelled Tennessee because just okay. I'm curious. That's a great story. <laughs> so I'm a pretty avid runner, involved in the running community in Knoxville. Do a lot of stuff inside that you know inside the running community, t-shirts and you know stuff that generates revenue. You know um, that's fun to do because it's I'm passionate about it, so it makes it more enjoyable. But uh, the Knoxville Trot Club came to me and asked uh, or sent a lady to me that does a program called Ansley's Angels. It's a national group that they provide all the wheelchairs for people that have disabilities that can't run. And then they get runners, which are called the angels that push them in the mm -hmm. race. So they show up with a trailer with all the 
the spe- you know special wheelchairs and all that stuff and you'll see them at races if you run road races whether it's a 5k 10k half or full marathon people are doing this so she wanted to get the trailer wrapped and she was running the the uh th- this chapter and so she uh wanted to get it wrapped and she came to me told me the story about it and i was like wow that's pretty a pretty neat story i'm in the running community so i just i donated the wrap hmm. let her use our truck to pull the trailer she didn't have a big enough vehicle. So there's no way you're going to be able to pull that with what you have. So we let her use our delivery vehicle to pull it. Um, fast forward like three months, and I get a phone call from this lady, and she says, hey, I've got a rush job I need to get done. We've got a grand opening uh, at our movie theater, and we need to get uh, some wine glasses. And we need them like fast, and we need them with our logo on them on the box and blah, blah, blah. So long story short, uh, she works at Regal Entertainment. I had no idea. Huh. And that has turned into, we're now, they're probably their largest supplier of their print products. We're shipping to 560 movie theaters every week. Jesus. E- either posters or we did a million brochures for their unlimited campaign that they just launched. Free movies, or not free movies, unlimited movies for $18 a month. So it was really cool. I was just in New York City and I went into the Regal Entertainment. I took a bunch of pictures of all our stuff. It was actually up in the theater and sent it back to employees. It was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, and that's that's what I tell people. Like you, it, and it goes back to you saying being open and trusting and, and everything else and just genuinely caring about people. That will get you way farther in life than anything else because it would have been really easy for you to say, hey, yeah, you could rent the truck for a certain, you know, right. whatever, blah, 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 blah. But that caring about people, man. It'll yeah, and I, had, I really had no idea. I mean, you know, she she had an email for her Ansley's Angels. I mean, she wasn't sending me email from Regal. Right. So it, when she called, I was like, you know, it was they spent six grand with us the first year, and they're at three hundred and fifty this year, or something like that. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that just, I mean, you get the parable of the Good Samaritan or whatever else. As long as if you're the one to stop somebody on the side of the road and help them out, you know. Pays dividends. Yep. For sure. So so we'll kind of wrap this up and we'll end with this misspelled Tennessee story. All right. So the good news is we didn't do the design work. Um, <laughs> so we had a massively rushed job for the university. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Kentucky game, but uh, can we beat Kentucky in Kentucky? And then we were playing Kentucky at home. Basketball. Mm-hmm. I yeah, better basketball. clarify that because if I, if I don't want we know it wasn't football. So... <laughs> Um, uh, hey, just saying they won when I came down. That's right. So, so. you are going to have to stay. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, IMG contacted us. They basically are the marketing communications arm for the university. Hey, we got uh, 15,000 postcards, not postcards, or posters, I should say, that we want to print. It was uh, They were putting them in all the seats for the game, and they were gonna they were spelling out, feed the floor, and you could, people can hold them up, flip them. They're orange, white, orange, white. So this is on a Monday and they've got to have them on a Friday. We get them all printed. We get them over. We go over to Thompson Bowling with a sample just to see how we're going to put it in the seats and set them up. I get back to the office, and we're putting finish, finish cutting on all of these. And I get a phone call, and they said, we have a problem. And I go, oh, gosh, what is it? And they said, uh, Tennessee is misspelled on the posters. <laughs> this is on Wednesday. <laughs> Oof. So... Can you get it reprinted? And I hate reprinting stuff for mistakes. You know, I mean, yes, I'm getting paid to do it twice, but that's not how I want to make profit. I, you know, I was upset we didn't catch it. Right. But it was missing an N in Tennessee. 
And, of course, we had already been in Kentucky making massive jokes the previous game about Kentucky and something that they had spelled or whatever. So we could not let them. I was, no way I was going to let them <laughs> be let in them there. So, that, yeah. so we got them printed and, printed and done a second time and got them over there. But it was it was quite <laughs> funny. So, Well, especially, especially like it's one of those, if you're making fun of somebody for something the week prior, yeah. and then you're like, no, we cannot yeah. let them have this win. Cannot. So anyway, that was, <laughs> it, was, it was funny, but it was painful too. Oh, my God. I can't imagine, especially something like your state. That's a yeah. That's your a, university, <laughs> your designers. Yeah. Oh man, well, that's good. So, uh, where could people get, finish this off with your plug? Where could people find you online? What's your website? So graphiccreations.com. Of course, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. You know, I've got a feeling after talking with you, we'll probably be doing a little bit different approach to some of it. But mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, graphiccreations.com. Uh, you can call us too. Uh, we don't have an 800 number, but We'll pretend we pretend we're a national company because right. we ship nationally. So right, and that's the other question. So if you ship nationally, I mean, you, this is going to be airing. Our, the majority of our demographic right now is kind of in the Midwest uh, area. You know, this is going to be one of the interviews that we're trying to push our territory a little bit further south. But you know, if you're living in Ohio and you want to order graphics product yeah, rather than going to Vista Print, they can come to Graphic Design. You can still buy local and buy a small business, even if it's not necessarily. You can't find find it in your community. You don't always have to go to the the big boxes like that. But yeah, we ship. We actually are pretty close to I think UPS's largest customer in Knoxville after getting the Regal account. So we, we've mastered shipping. It's two days to Ohio, one day to Cincinnati. Awesome. So yeah. Cool. Um, and then uh, anything Instagram links, we'll kind of we'll be broadcasting that across. So if you want any graphic creations on Instagram and. And everything else, we'll we'll post post those links um, inside of the show description. Again, just as a reminder, you guys will be able to find the books that we referenced here: um, "The Good to Great" by Jim Collins uh, and "Story Brand" by Donald Miller. Uh, if you want to support the Apex Podcast, you can go to www.patreon backslash the Apex Podcast uh, for five dollars a month. You get two stickers sent to you uh, and a handwritten letter from one of the founders. You also get a shout out on the show. Um, unfortunately we don't have anybody to shout out this week. So you guys need to step your game up. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram personally at Jan underscore Almacy. It's Jan, but it looks like Jan J A N. Uh, and then our co-host doc holiday 92 on Instagram. And of course the podcast is at the apex podcast on Instagram, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you can find us on social Uh, Till next time, y'all, I hope you guys keep chasing the apex, and especially for this episode, go Vols. Go Vols.